You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Well, here we are. It's been a crazy year in sports, and as uh, sports got shut down, COVID-19... Changing everything? Well, horse racing battled on, and after a change in the schedule, you had the Belmont first, you had the Derby in September, you had the Preakness in October. It is Breeders' Cup 2020, the best two betting days of the year. Four horse players, Keeneland Racecourse, Friday and Saturday. It's the best two days in, in betting and best two days in handicapping and best two days for horse players because the fields and the prices, there's nothing like it. We love the sport. Uh, if you're listening to this, you love the activity of handicapping. It's a great mind exercise, but... There are some days where you go cross-eyed looking at races, say, on a Thursday at Aqueduct. We love New York racing, but it's two to five shots and one to five shots and speed wire to wire, and it's tough to grind out those bucks. Breeders' Cup Day, you can make your year in a matter of a race or two. That's the reality of it. The quality of the fields, the prices to choose from, uh, that's why it's the best across the board. In fact, not just the big prices you get on Breeders' Cup weekend, but horses that should be lower prices that are bigger prices because of the fields, and because of uh, the talent. Uh, we're here to pick through the nine Breeders' Cup races on Saturday. We're going to focus on Saturday. The juvenile races look very tough on Friday. Best of luck if you're playing. I'm sure you are. But our focus here in the Winners Club podcast uh, on Breeders' Cup weekend will be all nine races, Breeders' Cup Saturday. My approach, put the work in, take shots, don't be afraid. You cannot be afraid this weekend. You've got to be able to focus on uh, picking out a, a spot or two or three. I don't have to bet every race, like it's the last race of the day, but you pick out your spots and you build around those spots. That's my idea this weekend, and hopefully we'll give you some ideas here uh, over the course of the next hour or so. Format for this a little bit different. Uh, we're going to try something called a pick and a price. Uh, I'll go through all nine Breeders' Cup races. Like I said, this is a betting podcast. It's not a horse racing lifestyle podcast and what hats you're wearing, what drinks you're drinking. Nope. We're a handicapping podcast, we're a gambling podcast, we're a betting podcast. And so we'll try to give you a pick and a price uh, in all nine of these races. And sometimes it'll be the same thing. So could be the same, but give you an idea of a, w- a likely winner in our ideas uh, for prices that could get into the mix. We'll do the late pick five with our buddy Matt Bernier, NBC Sports, and of course, RacingPicks.com. He and I did some work uh, on a video on RacingPicks.com. You can check that out. You can sign up there. It's free. Get some ideas for this weekend as well. Uh, and we'll talk the classic and the early pick four with our buddy Dick Girardi, who has been by far our best handicapper uh, in these podcasts, really not been close uh, over the years. And we're going to start with the classic with both Matt and Dick because it's a great classic this year. Maybe no Ghost Sapper in here. Maybe no Arrogate, Mo Hall of Fame horse, but a really deep field, five or six that can win. And guess what? I think the favorite's going to win. Boy, is that exciting. I like the favorite in the classic. You logged on and downloaded a podcast, so this idiot host gives you the favorite in the classic. Well, I think he's that good. And I got plenty of prices, including in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mayor Turf, an 8-1 to one shot that is going to be a big part uh, of what I try to do in the early part of the card on Saturday. But you don't care what I have to think, probably. You want Bernier. You want Girardi. You want the Breeders' Cup handicapping. Let's get to it. Winner's Club podcast, Breeders' Cup 2020. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a handicapping podcast, a betting podcast, not a horse lifestyle podcast. Let's get right into the handicapping. Matt Bernier, NBC Sports, RacingPicks.com. He and I taped a nice video for the classic last week that is up there. We love the folks at RacingPicks.com. Uh, it's Breeders' Cup weekend, Matt. What's going on, man? It, it feels like it's taken forever and a day to get here, but here we are. And uh, really looking forward to it. You know, I, I've said it to a few different people, and I think, I truly believe it. It may not necessarily have the most stars of a Breeders' Cup weekend that we've seen in history. But I think there's a case to be made that the 14 championship races are as deep as really any Breeders' Cup has ever offered. So 
that should, in theory, offer up some great wagering opportunities. I can't wait for tomorrow afternoon. I know a lot of coverage on, on television, on the Internet. Where can people catch you uh, Friday and Saturday, Matt? Uh, Friday is going to be NBCSN. I believe coverage starts at 2 o'clock Eastern, goes right through the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, so right through 6. And then on Saturday, I believe it is noon to 2.30 on SN, and then we switch over to Big NBC uh, right through the Classic, so right through about 5.30 leading into Notre Dame and Clemson, I guess, this weekend. It's a big one for Brian Kelly and the Fighting Irish, and uh, we'll be looking forward to the coverage in HD on NBC Sports all weekend. I can't wait. Uh, before we get into the the, the actual races, we're going to go through – uh, all nine here, five, five of those here with Matt Bernier. We'll do four more, plus the classic with Dick Girardi coming up in just a little bit. Uh, I know you've done some work here on the track profile, and so I'm hoping to give the audience today your insight as to how this Keeneland track plays. They ran a Breeders' Cup here in 2015. They had a fall meet here that was a shortened meet, so not a whole lot of window. But what can you tell uh, my audience about how the track you think might play? And obviously watch it early Friday, maybe adjust, but going in, what is your idea about speed, closers, inside, wide? Uh, give me the Bernie or take on the Keeneland course. Yeah, you know, and maybe this is going to sound sort of boring, but I think it's very much the the American profile where on dirt, speed is king and queen. Uh, if you have some speed early on, you're at a great advantage as opposed to trying to rally from off of it. And the turf, the turf's a bit of a hit or miss situation. You have horses who can win when forwardly placed. You also have horses who can rally from off of it. It is worth noting there's not supposed to be a drop of rain, and there hasn't been really all week here in Lexington. So the the turf continues to firm, and there's only it's only going to get firmer on Friday and Saturday. So I, I would be really looking at horses who have performed well, performed well over firmer going, especially the Europeans coming in. If you're looking at it from really trying to get a gauge of where horses need to be positioned, and again, it's a, it's a profile going back over the past five years, it doesn't mean that horses can't buck the trend, but the idea is you have enough data to draw conclusions, at least in my opinion and many other people's opinion who, who go through these things on a day-in-day-out basis. Sprinting on dirt, you are always much more at an advantage when you're forwardly placed. Mm-hmm. Keeneland is no exception, especially this past fall meeting. It felt like at races six furlongs and less, you really wanted to be forwardly placed. Now, again, if you have two horses that go out there and go crazy fast early on, that doesn't mean that somebody can't rally from off of it. So I just want everybody to kind of keep that in mind, that while that may be the profile, there are always exceptions to the rule. And kind of to the point of the turf, you know, it's one of the nice situations where it does feel like if the circumstances present themselves, if you like a horse coming from well off of it or you like a horse who is supposed to be forwardly placed, if the pace situations allow, I think any of those horses should have an opportunity on the turf. So I would say it's relatively fair all around there. But obviously, again, dirt, you're probably going to want to lean a little bit more towards speed if you're looking on sort of the aggregate. Yep, and there were some days for sure, looking back at some of the results the last couple of days at Keeneland, it looks like the speed uh, and even the inside did well, but that's every American course, man. It's just how they are they're run right now. You want to be on the front end, and so we'll keep an eye on that as things get going on Friday. Uh, we're going to start with the Breeders' Cup Classic here, Matt. It's uh, We're going to work backwards after that with the late pick five. Uh, these are all good races, like you said. They're deep races. Uh, there is talent throughout. And I would just, as far as the Classic goes, 518 Eastern time, they'll go a mile and a quarter uh, to try to maybe crown the horse of the year. Potentially, we'll see. Uh, there, to me, there's not a superstar in here. I don't see an arrogate that's like going to be a horse we're talking about five years from now or a ghost sapper that we're talking about ten years from now. But there are a lot of win candidates, and when you said deep, I thought of this field immediately because what it lacks in sparkling talent, I think it has in overall depth where I could see a bunch of these winning the Breeders' Cup Classic headlined by the morning line favorite Bob Baffert's Improbable. I couldn't say it any better than that. I mean, this is just a... a top-to-bottom quality field. You may not have the Hall of Famers in here, uh, but you have horses who have legitimate credentials, have run fast races throughout, for the most part are consistent. You know, it, it seems very unlikely that you're going to get a complete clunker from one of these horses. It feels like they just show up time and time again and offer what they have. Uh, you brought up Improbable. He's the morning line favorite, and he has been the most consistent horse here in 2020, specifically for the older runners. Uh, it is interesting that the only blemish in 2020 was a race at Oakland Park in which Tom Todd defeated him. He'll run into him again here this afternoon, or on Saturday afternoon, I should say. Tom Todd's only real blemish here in 2020 was when he nearly fell out of the gate in the Whitney, in which Improbable won. So you can, make it, you can really make a case, and I don't usually say this, but in a 10-horse field, I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't rule out more than 
maybe two. I mean, it wouldn't be a stunner if you had horses who were 20 to one show up with a giant effort who on paper, maybe they're a little bit slow, but that doesn't mean that all the stars don't align and they run the best race of their life on Saturday afternoon. So there are two horses that uh, are big prices that I I just never, they're not going to win. Title ready is not going to win and higher power is not going to win. Title ready may hit the board. Dallas Stewart does this all the time where he puts his horse to the back of the pack and tells the rider, go get third. Go round out the try or the super, and with Corey Lannery aboard, he could do it at 30, 40 to 1. There are two horses that are going to take money that I'm not going to include in my multi-race bets as A's. I'm not going to put on the top and focus in on an exactus and trifectas. Those are two of the Bob Baffert horses, Matt. Authentic and maximum security. Boy, I think that the draw did not do either one of these horses any favors. Authentic needs to go to the lead. He drew the 9 of 10 post positions. Maximum security, I think, also wants to be forwardly placed. He drew the 10 of 10. I feel like he's leveled off here as a four-year-old. We know what happened here is in the Jason Service Barn. Service ended up being a massive cheater uh, in the sport. Uh, so he's got kind of a blemish record. I think he's leveled off as a four-year-old. I think Authentic has to go to the lead. And I think with Global Campaign in here, it's not going to be an easy lead. And so when you say there are only two that can't win, of prices, you're right, I'm going to toss two. But I, I don't want to bet Authentic on Saturday. I don't want to bet Maximum Security. Do you like Either one of those in the top spot in the classic. Yeah, that, that's where you and I will sort of uh, will part there because I, sure. I I just think authentic. I, I don't know really. Well, I don't want to say I don't know what it is, but I think he's sitting on tilt. I think he is absolutely loaded for bear. Uh, he has an angle. He has so many angles to be honest that I typically look for, and any any one of them would make me intrigued with the horse, let alone two or three of them. You know, this is a horse who has paired up career buyer tops of one hundred and five in each of his past two starts. Typically, to me, that is that's sort of an omen of things to come where perhaps you get a forward move. If all of a sudden he jumps up into the 110 range, they all better have him tied on. You bring up the pace situation where it feels like maybe he's a need-to-lead type. I can't really argue that, but I, I, there's just something that makes me think that he doesn't absolutely have to have the lead. So if Global Campaign is absolutely intent on making the front, I could very easily see Authentic just glued to his flank and taking over around in the far term whenever he wants. If I'm being honest, I want John Velasquez to be aggressive and just ride him right to the front and say, come and catch me. And also, it's a three-year-old at this time of the year where with these older horses, for the most part, I believe you kind of know what they are. They're going to run their race. I don't know that you're going to get any sort of a wild improvement from any one of them. Conversely, the three-year-old, I think this is really the time. And yeah, they'll be taking on elders for the first time, but you can get that big bump up here at this time of year. And again, talking about how he's paired up those career best figures I just I feel like this horse is ready to explode on Saturday afternoon. Authentic, well, the horse that uh, you know couldn't get there in the Derby to authentic tis the law. I think Matt is a big shot. He's three to one. He's one of the favorites. But uh, if he runs back to that Travers race, the two horse tis the law. He's going to get bet quite a bit. People like this horse. They're going to know the name. But I, I give him a big shot to to get the winner's circle. Your thoughts on the number two horse tis the law, the Travers winner and the Derby runner up. I don't dislike him, but I, I certainly don't love him. I, I've kind of cooled on, on Tis the Law, and I know he was the bee's knees for that stretch of time, and the Travers was spectacular. But, it, you know, maybe it's a little bit of revisionist history, but you go back and you say, well, what did he really run against in the Travers? You know, the max players of the world, the Caracaros, they're nice horses, don't get me wrong, but all of a sudden he showed up, and maybe he doesn't love Churchill Downs, and he was far from embarrassed in the Kentucky Derby, but I felt like if you go through, if you really want to go through with a fine-tooth comb, that was kind of the first time Tis the Law ran into a what I would consider a proper upper echelon potential racehorse, an authentic, and he couldn't run him down. Um, I'm going to be fascinated to see what kind of ride he receives from Manny Franco here because drawing toward the inside, I feel like in a perfect world, they would have been perched outside, able to stalk the pace, yeah. kind of uh, you know work out that trip that, that Manny was able to in the Belmont Stakes in the Florida Derby. Instead, from the inside, you either need to make a call. You want to use a little bit of horse early to establish some position, or are you willing to take back knowing that you could potentially end up boxed in there down on the inside or in behind horses? You know, it, it, I don't think it's a comfortable position. Put it that way. If you're a fan of Tis the Law, in my opinion, he's going to need to be really, really strong in order to win this thing on Saturday. All right, how about your boy, by my standards? If you've heard Matt on this podcast, he's mentioned him a thousand times. He Every time the horse Posts a workout online. He's a scream from Salem, Massachusetts, <laughs> from a guy watching uh, race replays and workouts on Twitter. He's 10 to 1, but I got to tell you, there, there's some buzz, Matt. I'm just a dummy who talks sports and follows this stuff uh, from afar, but there's a lot of talk about this horse and his workouts. 
Give us your breakdown of, of By My Standards and uh, what kind of uh, role you'll use him in uh, in this Breeders' Cup Classic. 10-1 to 1, the morning line, the number three. You know, he's the kind of horse that I think he's very easy to root for. You know, he shows up, he gives you what he's got. There, there's that part of me that, if I'm being honest, I don't know that his best is quite as good as the other horse's best in this race. Uh, having said that, he just shows up and delivers each and every time. And I, he's the kind of horse to me where I would be stunned if he wasn't sniffing the top three. Um, I would be surprised if he won. I wouldn't be flummoxed, but I, I, I think it's a situation where he's a very likely candidate at a price in a race where you've got a number of horses that'll be sort of between that three to one and eight to one range. He might be the option in that 10, 12, 15 to one range, who I think has every right to hit the board. I don't know that I necessarily love him on top, but I think you can get a piece of this thing and maybe spice him up for you. Well, it's only 10, so we should, uh, I'll mention a brief mention. You can jump in on any of these if you want. Uh, Tacitus, we didn't mention one of the longer shots that can't win. I mean, he's been an absolute money burner. He's not going to be 20 to ones. This be the time he goes and wins. I mean, Bill Mott, <laughs> won, he won, I was there when he won the classic with Drosselmeyer and I still, I, I still can't believe, uh, that happened. So I guess he went with Tacitus. He's going to be a much bigger price. People love that horse. Um, so I, I guess he could be involved there. Uh, and then global campaign, I think will be part of the pace of this race. He, he does add some, some energy to it. I don't think authentic gets that early lead. Uh, in this Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, we're going to try a new format here on the podcast with uh, you and our buddy Dick Girardi. We're looking for a pick, Matt, and, and a price here in the Classic. What do you think uh, on top, and what do you think is a price you want to use uh, in this uh, 12th race on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to pick authentic right on top. I, again, for all the reasons I sort of alluded to, and if you're looking for a price underneath, I, I feel like I kind of made my case for by my standards yep. where maybe he's not quite good enough to win, but I could certainly see him hitting the board at a number. Yeah, I'm real, I'm real, real creative here. I like this horse improbable. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, he's five to two. <laughs> he's a morning line favorite. I, I just think he's rounding into form. He's been the best uh, handicap horse here for a couple of months, and I think he's going to get a good setup. I think the race is going to go at least fast enough for him to sit off and make one run, and if he does, I think he's going to run by them all. The price I'll mention, the only other horse we did not mention, and he's not the price I thought he was going to be. I thought he'd be eight ten to one. He is 6-1 to one on the morning line. That is Tom's Day Top. Matt referenced him earlier. His form is super dirtied up. They're gonna, people are going to look at that Whitney. That was a no-shot start and no pace to run at, and he still ran well. I didn't like him at all that day, and I have to admit, I was lucky as a better who bet improbable. And by my standards, your horse in the exacta, I got lucky because of the start for Tom's Day Top. He was one of the best you know, older horses in the country to start the year. And the last year got really good, winning the Fayette and the Clark. He's got a win here uh, at Keeneland. He gets Joel Rosario, who for my money right now is the best money jockey in the country. It's not really the super price I wanted, but I I, I have to use. He'll be an A that I use on my tickets, and I'm going to uh, use him prominently as well in exactors with Improbable. And I, I'll tell you, with by my standards, Matt, I think that Whitney trifecta, I think that has a real chance to come back. I know you like authentic, but that would not surprise me if the Whitney comes back in some order. So I'm going to take Improbable as the favorite as my pick, and Tom's Day Tot for Joel Rosario, and Al Stahl, who's won the Classic with Blame 10 years ago. 10-year anniversary. Why can't he get it done again? Ooh, I like that. Let's go backwards here. We're going to go uh, to race number 11. This will be the uh, late double. Uh, You're chasing. You're trying to get out. you got an opportunity here. Uh, You're going to get race on the turf here. It's the Breeders' Cup Long Jeans Turf, mile and a half. Uh, a race that has been dominated by the Europeans until Bricks and Mortar uh, got it done a year ago, and it's a race where even when Bricks wins, I mean, I, I'm normally gonna, I'm gonna, I'm usually gonna focus on European horses here, Matt, because that's what they're bred to do. They seem a cut above even in this race this year. Uh, what do you want to do in race number eleven, the Breeders' Cup Turf? It'll come up as the late double here at Breeders' Cup Saturday. I'm going to tweak the the piece here a little bit simply because my price in this race is actually my pick. But if you're looking for a shorter price, who I think is a more likely winner than necessarily who I'm going to pick on top, um, I'm really taken by Mogul on the far outside, one of two in here for Aiden O'Brien. You know, this is a horse who, similar to the case I was making with Authentic, three-year-olds this time of year, I think you really get to see that sort of maturation physically and mentally. They take those steps forward. And I recognize he ran against three-year-old restricted company in that run over at Longchamp most recently, but that was over the firmest ground he's ever encountered. I know he was down on the rail throughout and he cruised up on the inside, but he just, he had that big turn of foot. And to me, it might've been sort of the sign that this is a horse who's coming into his own. He gets Lasix now for the first time at a shorter price. He is a, a, what I would consider one of the more, if not the most likely winner, and that's including magical in here. The, the horse that, I, that I'm going to air quotes pick, and I, uh, this is much more about gambling than it is necessarily the pick for me, I, I, I can't help but be intrigued by Arklow. 
and I, I understand he's never been a world beater, but he's been a very solid turf horse for what we've had as far as the Americans are concerned over the past handful of years. And I thought the Kentucky Turf Cup was interesting for two reasons. It felt like in 2020 maybe he had lost a little bit on the fastball. They go to the blinkers, and to me it was actually the best race he's ever run. Visually, it looked like he was in deep water with about an eighth of a mile to go. And not only did he prevail, but he actually extended as they got closer to the wire. You had a couple horses exit that race and run really well, most notably the runner-up Red Knight. He came back and won a stakes race at Keeneland with a 100 buyer. And a theme for me for this weekend, horses coming from Kentucky Downs and going to Keeneland specifically on the grass, they, for whatever reason, they are all running. Hmm. And and maybe the Breeders' Cup is going to be the, the instance where the water's too deep and that sort of little pet angle doesn't doesn't apply. But I just I, – A, he's not going to be 5-1. to one. He's going to be closer to 10-1. to one. But B, I, I just – I think he's sneaky enough. So maybe he can't win the whole thing, but maybe he can get a piece. I'm going to pick Ark Lowe as sort of a price, but of the more likely winners, uh, I do like Mogul on the outside. Yeah, I think for my uh, pick here would be Magical. Uh, and, again, it's a morning line favorite, I promise. I'm not picking every favorite on this podcast. I, I, I'm, I apologize. But they pointed here, uh, the horse is in great form, seven-time grade one winner, clearly the horse to beat. Uh, they kept this horse at a mile and a quarter in Europe this year, but I don't think the mile and a half is going to be that much of an issue because when you look at the a mile and a quarter in Europe, when I'm watching these ridiculous replays, uh, it just the, the the courses, Matt, are so different. They're not flat tracks. They're like you're running and it's it's up and down. It's not level, and so I feel like a, a mile and a quarter uh, in Europe will will tread out to a mile and a half here. Uh, they pointed to this race. They're going to wrap up a great campaign. Uh, not going to be any sort of uh, of price, but also in a race where I don't see a whole lot of speed, I think can be at least a somewhat forwardly placed. Not going to have to be one of these Europeans that has to close them, uh, you know, dead dead last to come from from back. So I, I'm I'm talking too much about a five to two shot, but magical would be the one for me. The European I'm going to use is the number six horse, Lord North, uh, for John Godson and Frankie Dettori gets the the ride. He caught an awful awful uh, course last time uh, at Ascot, but two back was only like a half, a one-and-a-quarter lengths behind Magical, who I like, uh, has been sort of rounding into form here. And they yeah, we wanted a fall campaign. They, they wanted to do this uh, good early season form. They're rounding back into it. A big sweeping move, even on that soft turf course last time. And of the Europeans, I feel like it's going to be one of the better prices. Uh, they're probably all live because that's what they're bred for. But Lord North, keep an eye on this horse, uh, coming up some, off some dirtied form, has some back races and some time for numbers that, are right there, in fact. The time form number, uh, best race, would put her right in the mix uh, with Magical here. Uh, Lord North, the Gelding, I'm sorry, not her. Uh, so 2-6 for me uh, in the Breeders' Cup turf. One of the more interesting races here, Matt, uh, of the w- weekend is going to be the Breeders' Cup distaff, a mile and an eighth on that Keeneland main track with the feels like, at least on paper, uh, kind of a heads-up matchup, Swiss Skydiver and Monomoy Girl. Uh, if they get to the top of the lane together, they will throw down at Keeneland. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it could potentially set up for another sort of uh, songbird beholder distaff stretch run that we saw out at Santa Anita a number of years ago. I, I guess of the two, I'm probably going to lean a little bit more toward Monomoy Girl, and, and maybe that's silly because all Swiss Skydiver's been doing is showing up and running lights out time and time again. doesn't matter the distance, the track, whatever it may be. But Monomoy Girl is just the kind of horse who has a nose for the wire, um, I, and, and I just, I kind of, I feel like this may be sort of the swan song where the goal, the only reason they brought her back was to try to win another distaff. Yep. Here they are. She's done nothing wrong here in 2020. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it is as simple as a two horse race of those two, I would lean toward Monomoy girl, but there's a part of me. I'm not convinced that it's just those two. And, and I, there are enough people that I know and respect that think, well, you know, she only beat three other horses, and that's one of her fast races, and she's sort of an in-and-outer. But horologist's best race, to me, is every bit as good as Swiss Skydiver's best and Monomoy Girl's best. Her run in the Dame was really impressive for a number of reasons. The way that she made the move where she broke right on top, and then she actually came right to hand for Junior Alvarado, waited a bit, and then went and got the horse that set the wicked pace and drew off for fun. You've got the Latroy in prior to that, which uh, apparently, again, enough people that I know and trust say that the inside is not where you wanted to be that Friday at Churchill Downs. She was buried down there for the duration until she got out at the very top, and she actually made up a little bit of ground. And then prior to that, you've got the Molly Pitcher, which was a brilliant performance, and, and she put up big numbers. So I, I don't think she's I don't think she's a rank outsider. Put it that way. Uh, if one of the two big girls stubs their toe, 
uh, I could very easily see horologists getting involved in this thing. Yeah, I, I think that the two the, the two favorites are logical favorites. Matt mentioned uh, Monomoy Girl. I, I guess just by default, because I, I want to respect the campaign, the, the Swiss Skydiver campaign, just spectacular. I didn't give her much of a shot in the Preakness, but that was a great ride and a great trip from Robbie Alvarado, who got you know all this mocking about he's going to get the ride in the Preakness, and he rode that horse perfectly. McPeak, you know, the reports were, Matt, I think we talked about this on the Racing Picks video, the reports were he wanted to go to the Classic. The owners wanted to go to the Distaff, and they end up here. And I think the horse is in a good spot. I don't see a lot of speed. Lady Kate wants to go. But after that, that second vanguard of horses is going to have a real opportunity. And the fact she has a good race over the track, the fact she's been so tough and so competitive in her races, I think Swiss Skydiver rates a big shot. And I think Monomoy Girl obviously is super talented. But in a heads-up matchup, I'm going to take the three-year-old going in the right direction, and I'll take Monomoy Girl, even though it's Brad Cox on her, his home track with a horse that uh, is just going to be awfully tough to beat. Maybe a little bit better of a price, so that's not the big issue. The price I'm going to use, it, it, this is a, a really ridiculous pick, and I, this is going to it, the results will probably embarrass me. But I got to use Dunbar Road somewhere, Matt. This this horse, you know, was yeah going back uh, uh, the last year or so has always hinted at talent. Got was off slow last time in that bell day in that four horse uh, horologist win you talked about. Had to go around. Still was not the best effort, but I just think there is more there. And if I want a price, if I think the favorites are really good here and I want a price to get into that number, I'm going to go with the back class of Dunbar Roach. Got to get a little bit faster, but uh, you know, Chad Brown is, is showing up on these big race days. Uh, Wavell Avenue was a different race, but he's found a way at 7, 8, 9 to 1 to big breeders, win big Breeders' Cup races. And I'm going to go on the back class of a price of Dunbar Road in a race that uh, I really do think, Matt, you mentioned the multi-race. I'll mention the multi-race bets. Do you think that a majority of people will just try to use Monomoy Girl and Swiss Skydiver and get through? Do you think people will single Monomoy Girl here and late pick threes, pick fours, and pick fives? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, obviously most of the, the play is going to go through those two girls, but I, I think if you are someone who likes one or both of them, I think you, you're probably better off, unless you think that it's just going to be you know, chaos all surrounding, I think you're better off picking one of the two. I, I don't know that you gain a ton by using both of them, if I'm being honest. Again, unless you think it's just going to be boxcars everywhere and you say, I just, just give me both of them and I feel like I'm going to be free and clear. If you think there's going to be some sort of formfulness in this late pick five or the pick six or the pick four, whatever you're playing, I think you got to make a, a call on one or the other, Monomoy Girl or Swiss Skydiver, and just say, you know what, we're going to let it ride. From, from a, 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 t- a ticket-making standpoint, you know, how, how would you end up weighting those? If you decided Monomoy Girl was your horse, is it 70-30? Is it 80-20? I know you want to pick one on top, but would you back up a little bit with another horse you liked if you liked those two? Yeah, so, I mean, for, for my instance, there are three horses that I would be using, and I, to be honest, I'm probably going to use – I would say 50% Monomoy Girl, but then I would probably split the other 50, maybe 25-25, or maybe even press up a horse like uh, Horologist, who I think is going to be a much better price, going to offer considerably more value in a wager like this. Maybe I press her up to sort of 35% of the play and downgrade a horse like Swiss Skydiver, who maybe you only include her in an instance where you have nothing but chaos surrounding it. And that way it's sort of, I don't want to call it insanity insurance, but it's genuinely sort of the, the air quotes backup play where if everything else shakes out, you know, she's not going to end up costing you, uh, you know, some giant sort of score. I, I like the analysis there, Matt Bernier. Uh, let's talk about the Breeders' Cup mile, the go a mile on the turf. Uh, again, the Euros against the uh, Americans. What do you want to do here going a mile uh, on this turf course at Keeneland? This, to me, is, is one of the best races of the weekend from a gambling standpoint. Your favorite's probably going to be somewhere in that four to one, nine to two range. Um, I, the horses that I like are a little bit better prices than that, but but nothing crazy. I'm going to give you three. Ooh. If we're going to play along with sort of the format, my pick in the race is going to be factor this for Brad Cox. This is a horse who I think he's sort of slid under the radar, which which is a little bit surprising to me simply because he's just in raging form. He's done nothing but run in 2020. He keeps on showing up and running these giant races, specifically his run two back in the Turf Classic. That was a race where the pace was ballistic. Anybody else that was remotely close to the front finished up the track. Conversely, you had a horse like Digital Age who saved every inch of ground down on the inside, tipped out from the back of the pack, and was able to nail factor this on the wire. For him to only be three-quarters of a length back, I think speaks volumes about this horse. And then that most recent run down in Pimlico, not only did he beat a good horse in some like at Hot Brown, some like at Hot Brown came back and earned a 100 or a 101 in his next start. 
up at Belmont Park. So I think factor this is in with a big chance. Um, if you're looking for a, a giant price, uh, March to the Arch, I don't know if he's quite good enough to win, but I could very easily see him getting a piece of this thing. He's run deceptively well at Keeneland, despite the fact that it looks like he's never hit the board, which technically he hasn't. But go back and take a look at that Shadwell Turf mile from last year. I thought he actually ran quite well. And if you're looking for a European, I think he's going to take some sneaky money. But I'm very, very interested in the number three, Lope Fernandez, for Aiden O'Brien. This is a horse who, again, I would encourage anyone, if you're looking at those European races, really be kind to the horses who did not handle the soft and heavy ground over on Arc Day, over yep. at Longchamp, and over the soft going on Champions Day at Ascot. Because they, Nick Luck, uh, my buddy and NBC sort of uh, helper, their friend, he's brought up the fact that you wouldn't have run over here in the United States on that sort of ground. That's how bad it was. Um, so I, I think Lope Fernandez, you go back to his runs three and four starts back at Deauville, either of those, he's got a big turn of foot. Wouldn't surprise me at all if he gets involved. I don't think he gets 30 to one on him, though. Yeah, I'll give you two Europeans. I, I like the look on the number three. Uh, number two, Kamiko. Might go off as the favorite in this race. Uh, went off as the favorite in the Epsom Derby back in July. It was 5-2 to two that day and could not chase down uh, that horse Serpentine. It just ran off the screen. Uh, in that race. What a monster effort. Next time out uh, in, the, in the Sussex Stakes, you talk about the, the trip of the European horses I watched. Go back and watch the traffic. Just could not get through. Beat to a spot. Ended up running fourth. Has rounded back into form. Uh, winning last time out. Has two wins at the mile distance and uh, is sort of pointing to a race like this. And I thought Kamiko was a true miler uh, with two wins and a, a second place finish at a mile. I wanted to use the number two horse, Kamiko, at six to one. Uh, and I'll go one of the European here. That'll be Safe Voyage, who is 15 to 1 for John Quinn on the morning line. Ran into last time this horse, One Master, who's also in this race. One Master has run that, uh, has won that uh, race that was won at Longchamp last time three separate times. Like that, that is that course's race. Talk about horse for course. That mare has won that thing three different times. Uh, Safe Voyage, the six, did not disgrace herself there. Uh, had a trip way back in the Lennox Stakes. And I'll point out that the target was this thing the entire time, has the speed to be involved, has had races with they have left-hand turns. Sometimes in Europe, uh, when you look at your form right now, you see STR. Those are straight races. This horse is one-around turns. And I thought if this was the target the entire time and ran that well in a home game for one master last time out of 15-1, to 1, I'll take a shot with Safe Voyage as my European price. So I'll take the two as my pick, Kamiko. I'll take Safe Voyage as my price in the Breeders' Cup mile. And then race number eight, which starts the pick five, this ends up being, I think, one of the more clear races, at least for me, on paper, which means I'm going to get a dead-ass wrong burn here. But the, <laughs> the scratch of a coma uh, for Matt Gatsis and Gatsis uh, Stables and Randy Hill, tough break for them. But it leaves a horse in Yalpon who feels like he's going to be loose on the lead. I think he's run freakishly for Steve Asmussen. He's got a bunch of freaks. He's got Nashville running uh, on Saturday earlier in this card, another speed monster. But Yalpon's going to the lead. I don't think he looks back. I could see a wire-to-wire winner of Yalpon, the number 10, in this race, Matt, because I don't see a lot of speed. Talk me off wanting to really heavily and be invested on the favorite to start out the Lake Pick 5 on Breeders' Cup Day. I can't talk you off from the case that you laid out. I guess my, the only thing that would give me any kind of cause for pause would be if he goes off too short a price. If for, for sure. whatever reason he ends off in that sort of 7-5, to 8-5 to five range, I'd probably get a little bit gun-shy about that. Uh, I do think the Philly is going to be reasonably close. I can't imagine Frank's Rockette just letting him waltz on the front end. I don't know that she's going to be able to sit and be able to run a horse like Yalpon down. Um, to me, it was one of those spots where I really wanted Vacoma to run because I didn't love him in a spot like this, so it's a little bit disappointing. You know, Obviously, you hope the horse is going to be all right, but from a gambling standpoint, it's to my detriment. Um, I like Diamond Oops, and, and maybe he doesn't class up to the rest of these runners. I can understand that argument, but... He's a perfect one-for-one one over Keeneland's uh, main track. We saw that early October. I thought he ran ex- exceptionally well. And in the grand scheme of things, he's the sort of horse who you go back through his PPs and look at his three most recent dirt sprints. And I'm going to chalk this one up. I had gone through and looked at the, I already liked the horse anyway, but I went back and listened to my old friend, Mike Beer, who works at the place there I used to go. work, Daily yep. Racing Forum. The last three dirt sprints for this horse, buyers of 97, a victory in the Phoenix, a 105 in the Mr. Prospector at Gulfstream in December of last year, and a 105 in the Vanderbilt behind Imperial Hint who ran a hole in the wind that day. So this is a horse who is really strong, sprinting on dirt. I liked him before. I heard Beer talk about him. I said, you know what? I'm all in on Diamond Oops, 
And uh, guess what? I'll also spoil a little bit of a surprise. My buddy Eddie Olchuk likes the horse as well. So a lot of weight on Diamond Oops, but I think he's got a big chance. All right. that's uh, Is that the pick or your price? What do you want to do? You Yao Pan and Diamond Oops is your two there? Is that, how do you want to flip those? No, Diamond Oops is actually going to be my pick in this nice. spot. If you're looking for, for some sort of a, I don't want to say bomb, but I mean, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that a horse like Collusion Illusion, who I've liked for some time. I think he's a really talented three-year-old. Another one of your sons, Collusion Illusion. The, yeah. the, yo, 100%. I, I think there's plenty of ability there. If you go back and look at the Santa Anita Sprint Championship and all of the races on the main track at Santa Anita that day, I'm not convinced that the inside is not where you didn't want to be. I feel like that was a position where perhaps it was a little bit deeper. CZ Rocket and Flagstaff were both well off the rail. Collusion Illusion tried to make his run down there, and it just looked like he was sort of in quicksand. We've seen three-year-olds run well in this race in the past. By no means am I saying he's a likely winner, but I, would, I wouldn't sleep on Collusion Illusion from the West Coast. Yeah, it's interesting. If I'm going to drop this race as being a race that I think is really not all that fast uh, for a sprint race, I, I, I'm gonna, I will use, I think Yalpon is, is going to be my pick, obviously, but it's going to be a short price. The horse that Diamond Oops beat last time out, Matt, why can't Empire of Gold, given a, a, good, say, a, a good pace opportunity here, why can't that horse, you know, pair up uh, what it was a good race last time? Just got run down. Now fifty-one to one, you're going to get a thirty to one this day. But I thought it was a horse, a race that wouldn't have a lot of speed. That Empire of Gold and maybe Yalpon run around there, and by the time the other jockeys realize that it's too late, I thought maybe you might hang on for a piece at a big price. And I, I, I give more credence now. If you like Diamond Oops that much, you must at least want to use Empire of Gold for some sort of piece underneath. The only thing that concerned me about Empire of Gold, and look, the way that you have drawn it up, I think it's a very, very astute way to look at it, where it could simply be a two-speed number, where the two horses who are first and second, they just take them the entire way, especially in these dirt sprints. And the thing that I didn't love about that run at Keeneland most recently, he ran his eyeballs out, don't get me wrong, but he was on his left lead for the final eighth of a mile, and I just thought he got super tired at the end, when in reality I kind of feel like that was – the opportunity. That was the best he could possibly offer. And now, not only do you have to deal with Diamond Oops again, but obviously you got to deal with Yelpon. you got to deal with Frank's Rocket. you got to deal with the West Coast horses. CZ Rocket need to discuss him simply because he's been in rock-solid form for Peter Miller. I agree with you. He's going to be a million to one. If you like him and you think it's going to be a very, very sort of formful pace situation, uh, there's no reason he can't hang on for a piece. All right, we're a week out. We're not going to talk to you again uh, since our last horse racing podcast of the year. I need a master's pick. For folks that don't know, Bernie is a golf fanatic, a golf fanatic. And I, I think I think you have a healthy addiction with betting uh, Jason Day, so maybe that's your pick. He's playing well at Houston this weekend, but I had to get a master's take before we get out. The problem with Day, the talent is there, but he just he's, he's what I would call an ouchy horse. Where you know what? He goes, there are layoffs all over the place, and I don't need to tie my money up at the beginning of the week on a guy who may or may not get through the weekend. Um, I think if you're looking at it from a likely standpoint, I, I hate to say it, but I think the Shambo makes all the sense in the world. You get to Augusta National where you can basically hit it everywhere. There's no real rough. You know, you have the first cut, the second cut, all that jazz. He, I, there are certain holes that he's going to be able to absolutely manhandle. Um, if you're looking for a number, and he played actually pretty well in the U.S. Open. He's played well in, in a number of spots. He's my favorite player. He's got the, the silkiest swing you've ever seen. He just He's always there, but he can't quite get over the hump. Louis Oostazen. I, I love Louis Oostazen. I got him at a, a, a future ticket from months and months back when the, when the Masters was supposed to be in April. So it's still live. Um, actually, he's in better form now than he was back then. But, you know, it's far from a uh, slam dunk. I think the Shambo's a deserving favorite. But if you're looking for a bit of a flyer, how about uh, Louis? Well, how about the guy, Matt Bernie, who's giving out 20 and 30 to one shots? We say, give us a Masters <laughs> ticket. He gives you Bryce, Bryce and Shambo. That's worse than me giving out improbable in the classic. All Jeez. I'm saying is he's the, he's the most likely winner. That's all I'll say. Well, he's eight to, so he's eight to one right now uh, with our friends at DraftKings. Uh, he is the favorite. Uh, where's your guy, Louie, here? Awesome. Yeah, he's no. got to be 40. I want to keep scrolling. 50 to one. Yeah, I think that's fair. He's 50 on DraftKings right now. About, and tell you what, anybody, any folks listening to this, if you haven't looked at golf for gambling, if you like betting the horses, you have to start betting on golf because <laughs> the options in the, in the, I'm telling you, it's the, it is sort of the, the holy grail. It's the great unknown that people, for whatever reason, haven't tuned into yet. Betting on golf is phenomenal. 
That is the most passionate you've been on this podcast in 10 years of doing this. Was I'm, I'm trying to help the people. Degenerates Mike. go bet golf. All right. Uh, Bert, <laughs> Bernie or underscore Matt on Twitter, racingpicks.com. Matt's got picks up there. It is free. You can check those out. We did a little Breeders' Cup Classic video as well. Uh, Matt, look forward to sitting at home, enjoying the beautiful weather here on the East Coast and watching you on TV for a couple of days. Excellent job. Cannot thank you enough. The audience can't thank you enough. When the podcast wins, we all win. Get some winners this weekend, buddy. Uh, have fun on TV. We'll talk to you soon. You got it, buddy. Talk soon. Well, let's continue. This is, of course, a handicapping podcast, and Matt Bernier has been a great guest to us, but nobody has made more winning picks on this podcast over the last uh, decade or so than uh, our buddy Dick Girardi. Uh, of course, the Daily Racing Forum brought, brought to us today courtesy of our friends at betonline.ag, where they have some Breeders' Cup Classic odds I want to address with Dick Girardi here in a second. It's Breeders' Cup weekend. We need winners. We turn to uh, Dick Girardi. Dick, happy Breeders' Cup, man. How are you? Happy Breeders' Cup to you, Mike. I am doing fine, thank you. It's just it's been a wild couple of weeks. I've been uh, cramming and trying to learn everything I can and form some bets. But it's my favorite day of the sports calendar. I love the two days of the Breeders' Cup. Well, it is the best couple of days because there are prices to be had. And if you do your work, as uh, Dick did last year in the Breeders' Cup betting challenge, to the tune of a monster score, you can make your year in the span of 48 hours. And so you have to be able to go in and not be afraid uh, because these are those couple of days of the year, Dick, that you're just not going to see the rest of the year. We love racing in a lot of places, but you're know, given the fields and prices and uh, the opportunities, these are the best two days. Yeah, that, that's really well said, Mike. The fields, the prices, and the opportunities. Just, this, this is the only chance you get for something like this. The, it doesn't matter how big your bet is. You really can't change odds. You can't change exact prices. Uh, it's just it's a it's a great thing. And yeah, you know, bottom line is you got to be right a few times in the right spot. And if you are, uh, boy, you can get a big reward. Well, we're going to start with the classic, uh, and we're going to yes, go through sir. and get a, a pick and a price in, in five races with Dick. And by the end of this, we've gone through all nine races on Saturday, and uh, the classic shapes up. I, I I went really really creative here. I like the morning line favorite, Dick. I like improbable. I like Tom's Day Todd at 6-1. to one. Those are two horses I'll be interested in in this Breeders' Cup Classic. I know you are someone who studies these races up and down. You swear by the buyer speed figure. So as you look through what I think is a pretty deep field, uh, who do you think is the most likely winner, and what do you think for a price in this uh, Breeders' Cup Classic on Saturday? Yeah, I, I think you have the most likely winner in Improbable. Um, he's also probably going to be the – the worst price yeah. in comparison to his chances for winning. Uh, and, 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 look, he should be the favorite. I mean, he's been awesome. And I'll tell you, Mike, his last workout was among the five best I've ever seen. I mean, it was just phenomenal. I mean, if you watch enough backward workouts, those kind of horses with those works don't lose very often. Uh, I, don't, I think Improbable is going to win. But, as you said, this is a really, really strong field. Um, I give Authentic a reasonable chance because I think there's a really good chance he's going to the front and potentially could duplicate his derby run. Uh, obviously a much better field than he's running against than he did with all these older horses. And and I'll tell you this, I'm with you on Tom State Todd. He's my price horse in here. Nice. Uh, I think there's no reason in the world to think he's not going to fire. Uh, I mean, you, you just put a line through his last race when he missed the break. His previous four were tremendous. Al Stahl has been obviously pointing for this race, and, and he's a tremendous trainer. Of course, he trained Blame. It's hard to believe that's been 10 years ago, right? Yep. <laughs> Crazy. He, he beat Senyata in her final race. Um, so, yeah, he's just pointing this horse for this race. And, and you got the Belmont winner, Tis the Law. I mean, what a, what a great horse race this is. But, yeah, I do think Improbable is the most uh, likely winner. And I didn't even mention maximum security. So we have this year's Derby winner and last year's Derby winner with an asterisk uh, and all lined up next to each other, the three backwards on the outside. Uh, it's going to be a great finale to a great two days. Well, I got to ask you about maximum security because he ran, you know, he got run down by improbable. But since then, yep. you know, I know people that you work with and you respect, guys like Mike Welsh and Gary Young, the workout report suggests that he is in good form, and he's working out well. How do you, as a veteran handicapper, Dick, parse, parse out, well, he ran so poorly last time, but now he's working well. What's a deciding factor when, at least on paper, not the workouts, but on paper, this horse might sort of be leveling off in form? And a horse is going to be bet here for Bob Baffert and maximum security. Yeah, I, I, would, I tell you what, Mike, I would like him if I could put him in the front, but it's very clear from listening to Baffert that they're going to they're going to want to sit outside of authentic. I think they want authentic on the lead. Um, and 
when I watch maximum security in his races since Baffert has gotten them, I don't see that same pop I saw before. Uh, I'm not saying he's not trying because he is. He's one, two, or three with a second. I mean, this horse, it's all, you know, he's never been worse than second except when he got disqualified. Um, but I just don't see that same deal I saw last year. Um, I don't know whether it's because of the racing, the different trainer. Uh, and, and, look, his works have been good. I think it's the best work since he's come with Baffert. Uh, no argument for me there. Uh, but I don't like the trip he's going to get. I just don't think he's the same horse. And I'm not sure even that horse from last year is good enough to beat this field. Because, uh, I, look, I know he beat uh, he beat the favorite a couple of times last year. Improbable. Yep. Improbable is actually the favorite. The Derby and Preakness, everybody forgets that now. Uh, but Improbable is a different horse, right? He was the... He was the teenager last year that hadn't figured it out. Well, now he's a senior and he's a star. Um, so, yeah, I'm going I'm to play against on maximum security. And I feel bad because I like the horse. I think he's a really neat horse. Uh, interesting race here, the Classic. It'll cap off, uh, you know, nine Breeders' Cup races uh, on Saturday and may help determine horse of the year, depending on what Swiss Skydiver does uh, in that distaff in race number 10. We're going to focus on the pick four that's going to start with the first Breeders' Cup race of the day, you better get up early because at 12.02 Eastern time, you get your first <laughs> Breeders' Cup on the East Coast here. It's a seven-furlong uh, Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare sprint. Uh, and at least on, on paper, uh, kind of a match race here. You mentioned Bob Baffert for Gamine, uh, the number two horse, the 7-5 to five morning line favorite. And then a horse that I really, really, really become a fan of uh, for Tom Amos, Serengeti Empress, who... Uh, I, I, I don't want to speculate um, you know, how much happier and how much thicker my bank account would be if, if she had held off <laughs> Bell's the One uh, on Derby Day in that dance city. Uh, I thought she, was, thought she was home, uh, but she yeah. always she runs her heart out. I love the way she runs, and I know I'll be interested in betting her even at a shortest price. What do you want to do here in the Philly and Mare Sprint? What do you want to do with Gamine specifically, 7-5 to five for Baffert, but inside? And look, she's had her issues. We know a couple of times now. Uh, she is tested over the limit for certain uh, horse uh, therapeutics, as they call them. Your thoughts here in the race number four on Breeders' Cup Day, Dick? My main goal in this race is to get Gamine off the ticket. Yep. Uh, yep. I don't like her post. As you just said, Serengeti Empress is faster than she is. At the best, she's going to be locked into the rail and having to go really fast. Brutal. Um, I hated, and I do mean hated, her workout. I thought she was dreadful. In our last work, it was very unbaffert-like. Normally, you watch them, and, man, they come flying out of that first turn with a big gallop out. She barely made it around the first turn. Um, it, it, you look, I don't like betting against huge Baffert favorites because that's generally not a good place to be, but this is one I'm going to have to try to beat. Uh, I think Sarah Empress, I think, Mike, you're in the right place. I think she is the most likely winner, especially if she clears the field. I think it's going to be very hard for anybody to run her down. But I'm mostly interested in Serengeti Empress and the possibility of a complete pace meltdown with Phoenician Harbor in there. I don't like it all, but she's going to be part of the pace. Is it possible that a horse like Sally's Curlin could come late? Speech dropping back from the, the Kentucky Oaks to 7-8. Bells the Water, you just mentioned, came and got you on Derby Day. Um, I think it's a possible meltdown. And I'm going to use as many combinations as I can to try to get Gamine off the ticket. Now, look, Gamine could win by five and run 110 again. I'm going to go, what was I thinking about? But I, I'm betting against that possibility. Well, guess what? We're going to put it in the winner's circle because that is one of my favorite ideas of the day is get her off the ticket. Um, even if yep. Serengeti Empress gets run down, there are multiple closers. Bell's the one who got her on Derby Day. Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, Sally's Curlin. Who came home yep. that that final quarter? It was Trackus had it at eleven eleven eight yep. one was flying yep. late in that race. Yep. And if Dale Romans on big days, we've seen him pop up with horses at a price. No question. Uh, so yeah. I like yeah. Sally's curling. I, I got to use, but you, I, I go back to speech because it's weird when you look through the, the races. There's uh, I, I I believe it was Steve Bick I heard mention this, so I want to give him credit. Uh, there's only three horses in the entire field in the Breeders' Cup Philly Mare Sprint. Only three horses with a hundred buyer speed figure. Figure Gamine. Yep. Uh, it's yep. uh, Gamine, Serengeti Empress, and Speech. I love yep. cutback horses. I'm a sucker for a cutback. Michael McCarthy is a really good underrated trainer. Is winning at 20% this year. So for me, you, yep. let, you mentioned the closers. We're on the same type of horses, but Speech me the one-horse stick. I think it's going to get – I think just sit back and make one run against the rail at Keeneland, right? 
Yeah, no, I think that's what they do. I mean, I think, they, like you just said, just sit there. There's no reason to go anywhere. You're, you're going to have to hope the field comes back to you at some point. The best race she ever run in her life was at Keeneland and the Ashland. Yep. She had a little bit of a tricky trip in the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, and you know what? She looks a little bit like Bellafina, who ran second in this race last year to Kofefi. Bellafina had, had a tough trip at Catalina at Parks going longer, and then she ran great at 7.8 once she got back home. Speech has some of that, uh, and I'm a big fan of Whitey McCarthy, too. He's he's a good dude and a really good trainer. Um, yeah, I, I think she's one of the live ones on the on the turn back to come running at the finish. I don't uh, think there's any question. Well, we are on the same page here, so we're either going to feel very good in the first Breeders' Cup race of the day or we're going to scratch yeah. our heads. Uh, and yeah, go, what are we thinking of? And go, what, what were we thinking about? Yeah, been, when Gamine Romp is five in front of the eighth bowl, we're going, oh, man, what were we doing? Well, let's go to race number five. I keep sticking you, uh, Mr. Girardi, with the, these turf sprints, and this is just... That's okay. This is just... This is ridiculous. I don't have a strong opinion here. Uh, these, to me... Like I've heard the the saying, you know, that the horseback is, you know, the racing is like, uh, I'm sorry, roulette on horseback, and yep. these in particular, these turf sprints, I I never get them right. So you tell me, five and a half furlongs on the turf at Keeneland, what do you want to do on this huge bulky field going five and a half? Yeah, and no, it's a brutal race. Uh, I think there's a chance. If, I mean, if you're looking for some long shot, just using pick threes, fours, and 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 anything like that, I would recommend the one and or the two, there's a chance either of them could get loose on the lead. It's not horses I would ever pick to win, but if you're using multiple race bets, if one of them gets left and the other one goes, potential that either of them could wire the field and you're going to get, what, 12 to 1 and 30 to 1 on the morning line for a big runner and just might. Person of races in Primus, the three. Yep. Uh, I loved his last race. At Kentucky Downs, I thought he hated the going, and he still gutted it out and won anyway. And when you see horses do that, that's telling you they're in great form. And everything coming out of Kentucky Downs all fall has been running great because anybody that knows that course, and I know you know it, Mike, it's up and down and around, and it's a crazy course. But, man, you get so fit running there. But the problem is it's five and a half on the turf, and Primus could be eight legs the best, get steadied nine times, and you, just, you don't know. The traffic is just crazy. Not something you would feel confident betting a lot of money on. But I think Primus is going to run really well. I mean, if you said, give me one pick, it would be Primus. Well, I'll tell you what. You mentioned getting shut off as a closer. Go back to Primus's race in the Woodford last year, last October. Yep. Got, completely yep. sh- got completely shut off. Paco put that horse in a bad spot. And and that's yep. why the horse lost the race. And, and, and right. he's got a shot, but I hate the running style here. Uh, I'm going to take nice. a shot as my pick with Leinster, uh, one of the yep. favorites here at four to one, but going to be involved yep. in the pace. Uh, Luis Saya, Luis Saya has flourished this summer uh, up at Saratoga, yep. and also you mentioned Keeneland and, and the, the course there. Three yep. for four, three for four at Keeneland with a runner up, yep. and yep. seven for eight in the exacta at the distance. Yep. So there's enough there for me. Uh, I'm going to take a shot here with Leinster at four to one, but I, the prices you talked about. Uh, I'm going to use the number one big runner as my price yeah. horse here. It might sure. be the, might be the speed of the speed three for three this year on the rail. Going to be completely yep. ignored because of the connections. Ran a big race in the right. Eddie D last time as the favorite. So yep. I'll take Leans yeah, no on top and big runner uh, as my price. Good job there, uh, but Dick Girardi helping yeah. us out in a very tough race. Uh, no, I like it, and, and Leacher's going to get a good trip, Mike. As you said, I think that's the key. He will not be in any trouble because he's fast and he's outside. Uh, let's talk about race number six, the Breeders' Cup yes, Dirt sir. Mile. Uh, it's a race, Dick, that I, I wish I wish didn't exist because I think it takes away from the sprint race and sometimes takes away from the Breeders' Cup Classic. But uh, yeah. an interesting field here that, again, I'm one of the tougher races I'm having a hard time handicapping. Your thoughts on the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile? Yeah, I, I love Nick's go in this race. I think he's lone speed. Um, he, he was, if you remember him, he, he won that Breeders' Return at Keeneland a couple of years ago and then ran second in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. It's right at the bottom of his paper uh, to a game winner. He was 40 to 1 in that race. And then he just kind of, it was a bizarre three year old season where he was just mismanaged. I, I don't know what they were trying to do with him, but none of it was working. And then, and then Brad Cox to the rescue in yep. 2020. Two for two. The race at Oaklawn was really good. The race at Keeneland was ridiculous. I mean, it was just awesome. Um, and I look, his two best races of his life were at this racetrack. I think there's a really good chance he's loose, short stretch, um, 
think a seven to two is probably the right number. I think there's a lot of horses that just they got names, but that's all they have. Uh, complexity is very talented. It's Chad Brown. I have nothing bad to say about him other than his price. He's going to be the favorite, uh, and he's going to be chasing Nixco. I, I like Nixco a lot. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the price will be, but uh, he's got a one-way running style, and I think it's a good one, especially for this race without a lot of pace. Well, Loves Keeneland is going to be on the lead going a mile at Keeneland and has, again, I, I, for my money, the best big money rider in the country right now in Joe Rosario and, and probably won't be the favorite with the with the presence of Chad Brown in here at two to one. So I got you for Nick's go as your pick. How about a price in here, Dick, in that Freedom's Cup mile? Yeah, how about how about uh about Sharp Samurai? Uh you know, it's interesting. He's been a turf horse his whole career. Then all of a sudden they go, you know what? I didn't really like how Maximum Security ran in his first race back. So let's try the Pacific Classic. <laughs> and, he, and he runs second to Maximum Security. Remember, he chased them. He tried the whole way. Uh, I mean, it was a huge effort. If he can run back to that race, that absolutely can be second. And Mark Blatt, he's not a big-name West Coast guy, but he's really good. He knows what he's doing. And I, I just think he's a horse who could fall into that you know, stalking rail trip, maybe sitting like fourth. Uh, so I do give him a chance. I've been an art collector fan all year, but I just haven't figured out why he ran so poorly in the Preakness. I don't have an answer for it. He's, he'd be the great story if he wins this race, right? For Thomas Absolutely. Thomas Drury, who was all set up to run in his backyard in the Derby, couldn't make yep. the race, and then yep. just just yep. just no show there. I, I've not looked at the workout reports yet, so I don't know how he's training. But I, I'm with you. I like the horse, but I don't know what to do with them. Uh, as yeah, my as, as my pick, I'll chalk out. Uh, to some extent, and, and just talk about complexity, uh, sitting off the yep. pace, coming off that monster yep. race. When when Chad gets these horses going the right way, he normally keeps yep. them in good form. And the last couple, the Forgo and the Kelso, uh, he has been awesome, uh, defeating Code of Honor and Stan the Man last time out in a short four-horse field. But he's going to be part of the pace, and I want that in this race. And for a price, not the biggest price, but I, I think you need to go back and look at the effort that Mr. Freeze put in uh, last time out in the Fayette. Finally got sort of back into form. He was really good at the beginning of the year. Uh, I think he's rounding back into it. He likes Keeneland. Two wins here, two wins at the distance. And, I again, I like cutbacks going from mile and eighth uh, back to a mile. I, I like the effort on the front end, be holding off Relius Maximus and title ready, who we'll see in the Classic. So uh, Dale Romans on a big day, 6-1. to one. I'm going to take a shot with Mr. Freeze there as my price, Dick. Okay, cool. No, I, I like it. Yeah, my price will be sharp summer. I like it. Race number seven. Let's wrap it up. The five, the late pick four. It's all part of pick three. It actually starts the jackpot six as well. Uh, this will be race number seven. The Philly and Mare uh, turf. The Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare turf going a mile and three sixteenth. Uh, Chad Brown has uh, a pretty heavy hand in here. Got some Euro shipping <laughs> in as well. What do you want to do with Rushing Fall as the five to two morning line favorite in this race? Well, is there any reason to think Rushing Fall is not going to run well? I, I haven't come up with one. I mean, she's 11 for 14 lifetime, 5 of 6 at Keeneland. She's a horse that always gets that great stalking position. Uh, she looks like she'll be second just behind Mean Mary, same way they went in the Diana. Uh, she has to run well. She's the most logical winner. Um, I do not like Sister Charlie. I, I, I was a huge fan. She just looks to me like she's a six-year-old, doesn't have the same pop anymore. Uh, my bomb in here will be the seven, Tara Bella. Uh, throw out the last race, on that uh, just a bog. In England in October, just about every race course, you could throw out most of the races because the horses had no chance. The pre- Some of that previous form is very good. And anytime John Gosden shows up, I'm paying attention. Look out. Well, I, I think you make a good point about this race. I, I think that Rush, Rush, you have to look at Chad as being the favorite here. I think Rushing Fall is a deserving favorite. Um, would not be my pick, though. Uh, my pick is actually going to be my pick and my price. This is one of my more weird ideas of the weekend. And the horse the, is probably not fast enough. It's a three-year-old filly going against older. But I'm going to take a shot with Jessica Harrington's Cayenne Pepper on the outside number 14. And the reason why is that uh, this horse has been pointing to this race, uh, has run well at this distance, and if you go back to the first run of the year, was right there only four lengths behind Magical and finished in front of Fleeting in that race. Then, two races later, uh, ran second, again, a length and a quarter behind uh, Tarnawa, who is going to be the second choice in the turf. Has held great class, coming off a humongous win at Corral yep. last time, has wins going around turns, is going to be a monster price, uh, and just is bred ridiculously. 
uh, out of the Galileo uh, Sire Australia, and it's all sorts of breeding. If you look it up, it's just it, all the name, the need, the names up and down the breeding. All are these Grade One and, and Black type winners. And I thought yep. at fourteen to one, uh, I'm sorry, eight to one, nine to one, ten to one, a Euro uh, in a race where Dick, I think the Euros are always sort of the favorites, to, the one to look at in these yep. turf races because that's what they that's what they run on. And I want to take a shot with Cayenne Pepper. I think my most interesting handicapping idea uh, of the weekend in a race where Chad Brown probably won one two, and I will rip up my <laughs> tickets and turn to the next page because I mean that's how good Chad has become, Dick. We've talked about this. You know, uh, he's, he's the he's the he's the best there is, man. I mean, the guys just look. They never when they are supposed to run, Mike. When was the last time you saw a Chad logical horse? They don't always win, but when do they not run well? It just doesn't happen. Well, I mean, growing up I, or following racing in the early part of the you know two thousand for the first time, like Todd Pletcher was the guy, right? Todd Pletcher was. Yep. super trainer, and now yep. I feel like Chad is that guy. If I was just getting into racing, I would want to bet every single Chad Brown horse, especially the horses on the turf, but I'll take a shot uh, with Cayenne Pepper, the 14, on the outside. We'll get you out with one racing question, Dick, before we get to the handicapping for Friday and Saturday. Uh, it, it was a weird year for racing in that they were the one sport that kept on going as COVID-19 knocked out all the other sports, and I'm curious if you believe, is this any chance that They'll sort of, as a sport, get their act together. What I mean by that is there was still way too much racing, even during the COVID break. There were, there were these big racetracks run on top of each other. They cannibalize each other. And it ended up with, at times, a product, especially at Saratoga, that did not look like Saratoga. And I'm curious, do you think, did this year at all make the tracks realize, hey, might be racing too much. We need to partner more and figure out a better way to give a better product to our betters who are here you know, every weekend firing away. Any sign this year helped at all? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, it's because um, this sport is so fragmented, Mike. As you know, I mean, there's no uh, there's no Adam Silver here to like calm everything down and get everything straightened out. Um, I think some jurisdictions are going to do better than they've ever done. I mean, Keeneland's one of them, which just runs a tremendous meet. But others, I just think they're just kind of the lost balls in the high weeds. Still, you just they just don't get it. Um, and that's my concern is there's some management teams that are really good and there's others that just aren't. And it's hard to say anything about the sport because it's so, it's just so different from state to state, even track to track. Um, I did see some hopeful signs. I thought it was great. As you pointed out, they ran all the way through some of the handled numbers in, in March Crazy. and April Crazy. were unreal because it was the only gambling game in town. And I think that had to have brought in some new players. I hope it did. Look, we love it. We'll always love it. Like the, the next two days are, the, are our Super Bowl. Um, and I just wish there were some better managers who understood people like us more. And I just don't think they do. Uh, are you playing in the BCBC this year? I am. Yeah, I am. Absolutely. After last year, you know, I'll be playing in that forever. <laughs> well, people that don't know, I mentioned at the top, Dick, was it second or third, Dick, in the BCBC? Third. Yeah, I, I, I awesome. had the lead going into the last race and uh, and got passed by two guys who made great bets in the last race. But it it's uh, it's a wild it, – I played it, I think it's the fifth or sixth time. It's just so much fun. And it just – I mean, you're matching wits with really good gamblers and people are not afraid to fire. And that's the whole thing about this. You can't be afraid to fire when the time comes. It's a great point. We opened it talking about this is the weekend where you just cannot be afraid. you got to take your shots and recognize you in, until next year, maybe Derby Day, you're not going to get a better opportunity than this. Nope. And what an opportunity. Yeah. Dick, excellent stuff. You've been uh, our sharpest handicapper you know, going on over a decade of doing this. You've got the highest ROI by far. And so consistent with your ideas. Some excellent thoughts tonight. I'm rooting my ass off for you in the BCBC. I'll be following the website all weekend long. And uh, I'll be rooting for you to, to win some money as well, Dick. Thank you so much. Have a great Breeders' Cup. And we'll talk to you uh, for Derby 2021, where hopefully things are back to some semblance of, of, of normalness around here. Yeah, that would be great. Mike, great job as always. Always great being on with you. Well, there you go. All nine Breeders' Cup races on Saturday. Should be a fun one. It's over by 5.15, too. These East Coast Breeders' Cups, I do like those because they're over earlier. The West Coast ones aren't open to over till late. I'm an old man. I'm washed. I don't want to be up till 9 o'clock anymore. I want to go to bed. I'm tired. Uh, but they'll be over by 5.15 uh, for the Classic. NBC's got great coverage all week long. Look forward to that. Uh, I'll go through and put our picks in a sort of a chart form, put those up on social media over the weekend. So please follow MuttWEEI on Twitter. That's MuttWEEI on Twitter. You can also find me on Instagram as well. 
We'll have some fun with some ideas on different bets and different uh, races and thoughts over the weekend on social. And I'll try to chart out the picks we made here on the podcast. I want to thank Matt Bernier, NBC Sports, RacingPicks.com. I want to thank Dick Girardi as well for some excellent handicapping. These guys are both sharp, sharp, sharp guys. I am just a dummy who talks sports on the radio, says dumb things there, and oh, by the way, likes to bet and handicap and uh, love doing this. has been well over a decade of doing these racing podcasts at WEEI.com and on iTunes. And so we thank Matt and Dick Girardi for joining us. We thank Ben Charleston and Chris Shine for producing this as well. We thank you. I mean, we don't, we don't do this to hear ourselves speak. We do it to try to help you out. The idea is take some of our ideas with your ideas, put them together, and try to find some winners because it only takes one this weekend. It only takes one this weekend on the Breeders' Cup. So hopefully we get lucky once, twice, three times, four, sweep the card. Probably not. Crush the cup this weekend, folks. Best of luck on Breeders' Cup 2020. We'll be back in the Winners' Club podcast next week for Week 10 of the NFL. We'll be back next year, knock on wood, hopefully. Hopefully we're back for racing next year for the Derby 2021. Go crush the cup. Enjoy the Breeders' Cup weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you next